Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the truth that we just heard, that you go before us, and Lord, that you, by your grace, through your blood, shed on an old rugged cross, you speak for us. It is your grace that covers us, your mercy by which we are forgiven of our sins, and that we are able to live the life to which you've called us, a life that glorifies you and a life that makes the world around us better. And so, Lord, now, as we turn to your word, we pray that we would do so recognizing that you are with us, and you are for us, and you are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts that we might become more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. As we continue on our series, asking God to help us pray this year, we have come to what I think will be one of the most important messages in the series, and the reason is this. We have seen, particularly since 2007, an incredible rise in mental and emotional health concerns throughout our nation. Um, There are all sorts of reasons, but we have truly seen mental health and emotional health concerns skyrocket, beginning really in 2007 and continuing. As we've reached into 2020 and come through the pandemic, one of the things that we've noticed is that our world is, is very, very raw right now. We're all still a little tender from what the world has gone through collectively, but we're also a little tender through what we've had to go through individually. Because I don't know if you noticed this or not, just because there was a worldwide pandemic, life didn't stop for each of us as well. Diagnoses continued to come. Treatments had to be had surgeries were undertaken, financial woes continued on. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that have happened, and as a result, we collectively, as Americans, as citizens of the world, we are struggling. Life on this earth is this strange mixture of joy and ache. Have you found that? Have you found that life has Beginnings and endings, I mean, we, we have hellos, but we also have goodbyes. We, we love, but we also grieve. We embrace, and we have to let go. We gain, and we lose, and as a result, we lament. We lament. In so many ways, we can look around and see lamentation happening in the world all around us, and we can even look into the mirror and see lamentation happening within us. But if you're like me, you wonder if you're supposed to do that or not. There's been this this idea that has gripped particularly Christianity, at least since I've been alive, that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you should be good. Right? Everything should be fine. You have a good, good father who's giving you good gifts and who is leading you and guiding you and with you, so you should be good. You, you shouldn't struggle with any sort of sadness or anything less than pure happiness. In fact, if somebody says to you, God is good, you should be able to respond all the time and actually mean it all the time. The truth is, for most of us, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and step my toe across the line and say for all of us, We don't always mean it. And it's not that we doubt God, it's just that we don't feel it. We don't feel that he's good all the time. We may say that he's good all the time, but it doesn't feel that way because my life is not good all the time. So how do I reconcile 
a sin-fallen world in which I live with a good, good father who loves me and who truly is leading me on for his glory and my good. How do we put those two things together? We lament. And I know it's going to feel weird, but if you're reading God's Word, one of the things that you have found is that God has left in the Bible a whole lot of lamenting. There's a whole book named after it. That's actually where we're going today. Lamentations chapter 3. If you're in the Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 688. We're going to Lamentations chapter 3. But even as you read through the Psalms, there are so many Psalms, these songs of Israel that are laments. One of the things I love about our God is that he welcomes us to lament to him. That's the theme of the message today. God welcomes us to lament to him. So here's the thing. When your life is difficult, and if you're breathing oxygen, that brings you to a place where you are a candidate for your life to be difficult. When that happens, God doesn't want you to distance yourself from him. He wants you to bring all of that to him. He doesn't want you to put on some facade and say, everything's wonderful in my life, trying to fool even yourself. No, he wants you to come to him and bring that lamentation, that lament, that struggle, that disappointment, that anger, that whatever it is. He wants you to bring it to him, and he welcomes that. So God welcomes us to lament. In Lamentations, what we have is the fallout from Jerusalem being overtaken by Babylon in 586 B.C. And really the key verses that are the, the central theme of this entire book are what we're going to look at today. We're going to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 19 through 24. But I want you to get our theme today. God welcomes us to lament to him. Lamentations, chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Our first point today is this. We lament with complete honesty. We lament with complete honesty. Honesty. What is the author here saying as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit? He's saying, remember my affliction. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Almighty God. Remember the wormwood. Remember the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. God, I'm going through a lot. I've been going through a lot. I'm tired of going through a lot. It seems like these things cascade across my memory all the time. And it's all I can see right now that, 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 that it's been so hard. Several years ago, our family was going through a really tough situation with an illness of a child in our family. And I was, I was reading through the Psalms. And uh, if you ever want to really connect your heart with the heart of God, I always recommend read through the Psalms. But I came across a Psalm that I know I had read before. But I guess I hadn't paid any attention to it before. Psalm number 13. It didn't take me long to get there, but I want to read it to you in its entirety. This is a psalm of David. 
Remember King David, the shepherd king, the one who was anointed king and who was raised up by God, the greatest king Israel has ever known? David. He wrote this in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, just pause there for a second. I feel like if I were God, I would have edited this one out. Now, David was having a rough moment, but we don't need everybody down through the course of history to read about David's rough moment. David was questioning God. And listen, I've been told you're not supposed to do that. So why in the world would God leave this one in? Why wouldn't he cut that out so that we wouldn't be burdened by David's struggle? How long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? Listen to how he continues. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So David has gone to God. He has let his heart be bared before Almighty God. He has, he has asked God to intervene. And then listen how he finishes. This is verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So notice the, the way in which David structures this lament. He asks a very honest question to God. He questions, where God are you in all of this? Lord, it looks like my enemy is going to triumph over me. It looks like this is not going to end well. Where are you? How much longer before you intervene and fix all this? How much longer before you raise me up? For if you don't raise me up, I'm not going to make it through this. Where are you, Lord? And then he presents his petition. Consider and answer me, O Lord. Intervene. Please help. Please help. And then he returns to what he knows. That's the way we lament. We start with what we're feeling. We start with our honest questions. And we don't take that to other people. We take it straight to the Lord. And we bear our souls before him. And as we do, we remember what we know. How many of you have found that sometimes our feelings can lie to us? Has that ever happened to you? You felt a certain way, but that wasn't in step with reality so here's how I feel here's what I'm asking you to do but here's what I remember here's what I know another one that was written by David is Psalm 142 so we're going from 13 all the way to 142 but I'm gonna tell you if you'll read the Psalms you will see all sorts of Psalms of lament individual lament community lament God's people going honestly to Almighty God in Psalm 142, we learn that David is in the cave hiding from King Saul. And this is his prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. 
I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. There again, you have this same sort of progression. God, here is my gut-level honest complaint. Here is my honest struggle. This is where I really am. And if you don't intervene, things are not going to go well for me. However, I believe that you see me. I believe that you hear me. I believe that you're working in ways that I cannot now understand. And I believe that I will see victory in the Lord. He says, the righteous will surround me, for you, O God, will deal bountifully with me. But I want you to get, and I want me to get, that God is not fooled by whatever facade we put on to try to approach him. He knows our hearts. Psalm 139 says, before a word is on my tongue, he knows it already. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. So why in the world do we try to hide from him? Well, we try to hide from him for the same reason that Adam and Eve tried to hide from him. We're ashamed. We're ashamed because we've bought into the lie that in a sin-fallen world, we should be happy all the time. Nothing should ever bother us. But the problem with that is it doesn't match with any of the biblical author's experience. And if these authors were writing as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit chose not to edit those parts out of the Bible, then God must have meant for us to have them. And God must expect for us to live according to them so that we can follow the same sort of pattern. Lord, this is hard and it hurts and I don't like this. I don't like anything about this. Help me. And if you don't help me, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. This is not going to go well. This is, this, is just, just, this is just awful. And yet, I'll remember what I know. I remember what they taught me in Sunday school. I remember what I learn as I read your word. I'll remember the truth that I know of who you are and that you haven't forgotten me. Because here's what you got to know. He hasn't forgotten you. Look with me, uh, verses 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our first point was that we lament with complete honesty. Our second point is this. We lament with faithful remembrance. We lament with faithful remembrance. Let's just walk through these verses. First, says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So we remember God's steadfast love for us. We remember God's relentless love for us. I was with a group of first and second graders this morning. You know what I told them? God loves you. He really, really does. God loves you more than you think he does. God really, really loves you, and I want you to never forget to remember that God loves you no matter what. Even when you do something that doesn't please Him, even when you do something that is breaking one of His rules, God nevertheless, I didn't use that word with first and second graders, but I'll use it here. He loves you. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So when I'm hurting, I return to the truth. I may not feel it in the moment, but the truth that God's love is unrelenting toward me and unconditional for me. God loves me. That's true for you. In every single moment of your life, God loves you. Is he always pleased with the decisions we make? No. Does that make him stop loving us? Not at all. So we remember that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We remember that his mercies never come to an end. Let me ask you this. If you're in Christ, what part of your life does God's mercy not reach? I love having church family because it's more than just attending a place together on a Sunday. This is, this is us walking through life together because sooner or later we all find out that we can't do this on our own. When I was a little kid, they gave us a book to read in school called People Need People. And the older I get, the more I realize, boy, that's true. But one of the things that God does as we gather together is he strengthens and encourages and comforts us through one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And one of the things from my perspective as the pastor of the church I get to see is I get to see that play out. See people go through unspeakably difficult moments. And I watch God be God to them. I watch God bring his people around them and strengthen them and encourage them and, and help them know that they are not alone in this journey. And then some time will pass and somebody else will go through a difficulty something that is unspeakably difficult. And you know what happens? This person who has experienced such comfort from God is usually first in line because I understand to some degree what they're going through. And I wanna, I wanna speak an encouraging word. I wanna give an encouraging hug. I wanna let them know that they're not walking through this alone. And I wanna let them know that God is with them through it all. And I'm willing to use my story to be a benefit to them as their story unfolds. That's the beauty of church family. That's the beauty of being brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We can look at each other and say, let me tell you, God hasn't forgotten you. I know it feels like he has right now, but he hasn't. And God hasn't abandoned you. I know it feels like he has right now, but he hasn't. God is right here with you. And part of the fruit, that, uh, uh, the evidence that God is right here with you is the fact that I'm here. Because if God hadn't been with me through what I went through, I wouldn't be here with you to be with you through what you're going through. His mercies are unending. They are new. His mercies are new every morning. We remember that God's mercies are new every morning. Psalm 30, in verse 5, the second half of the verse says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Amen? I got to be honest with you. I went through a very difficult season not too awful long ago. And uh, it was really hard. It's one of the hardest things I ever went through. I won't burden you with the details, but at nighttime, I would, I would fall asleep pretty easy because I was just exhausted from the day. But the morning was awful. 
As soon as I would wake up, I would open my eyes and, and it would all come crashing in on me again. This, this is real. This really is going on. This really is happening. This really is ongoing. It hasn't been fixed yet. This, this, hasn't, this hasn't been taken away yet. This is real. And, and, and I, honestly, the panic would set in. Just panic. My heart rate would go up. My breathing would get shallower and faster. And immediately, I would have to say, God, help. God, help. Lord, as I continue to travel this journey, I know you're here. I don't always feel that you're here, but I know you're here, and I'm going to go with what I know and not with what I feel in the moment. And I believe you are working in ways that I cannot now perceive, and I'm very much out of control right now, but I believe that you are in control. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you, even though this is really tough. And I can tell you that Sometimes it took a little longer because I had to keep going back in prayer, but that was so reassuring to know that His mercies are new every morning. And in fact, that one verse, I would go back to it in my mind. His mercies are new this morning too. Look for them. Seek them. Rest in them. Rest in Him. We remember His mercies, and we remember that He is faithful. We remember that He is faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Many of you know that that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, was written by a man who was born just down 31W in Franklin, Kentucky. Thomas Chisholm was born in Franklin in a log cabin in 1866. And he had a very interesting life. He was a school teacher, became a school teacher at the age of 16, and then later left that and got into the newspaper business. And then not long after that, he was ordained as a pastor, but his health was poor and he couldn't do it. So he didn't last very long in ministry. And then he moved to New Jersey and got into the insurance business and struggled through that. But through it all, he would write poems. And he had a friend who was in the publishing business his friend was William Runyon, who was a musician associated with Chicago's Moody Bible Institute, who worked for a hymnal publishing company, and he, he sent him a collection of poems, a collection of hymns, and one of them got published as, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Many years later, in speaking about his life in light of that particular hymn, he said this, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that He has given me many wonderful displays of His providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I would think that the, the guy who wrote Great is Thy Faithfulness probably had a super easy life. Every traffic light turned green for him. Everything went the way he wanted it to go, and it turns out most of it didn't. Most of his life was disappointing to him. And yet, in the midst of that disappointment, he was able to say, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Lord unto me. Life in a fallen world will always bring some sense of disappointment. Even the great things don't always go exactly the way we want them to go, do they? And God welcomes us to lament, but as we do, we faithfully remember who He is, that His steadfast love never ceases, that His mercies reach to the deepest parts of our lives, that His mercies are new every morning, that He is great 
in his faithfulness. And then look with me at verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Our third and final point today is this. We lament with everlasting hope. We lament with everlasting hope. Now, if you are in Jesus Christ, this applies to you. If you have yet to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this does not yet apply to you. But it can if you will turn to Jesus, repenting of your sin and inviting Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. But if you are in Christ, you have received Christ, let me, let me just tell you what applies to you. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though, do you, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Life in this world is hard. It's this strange mixture of joy and ache. We say hello, but we have to say goodbye. We, we love, but we grieve. We, we gain and we lose. We rejoice and we lament. And God welcomes us to bring all of that to Him. And if you're in Christ, let me tell you what's waiting for you. What's waiting for you is life with Almighty God forever and ever and ever. Amen. In a new world, a renewed heavens and earth in which God dwells with us. He dwells with us. We are His people and He is our God and, and all the sin is put away. All the struggle is gone forever. All the heartache disappears because it has dissipated fully and finally. And all that is left is joy in the presence of our God and Father, joy in the presence of those who've gone before us in Christ, joy in the presence of those who will come after us in Christ, joy together recognizing that we have obtained the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. It, we can't wrap our minds around it right now, but we can be reminded that it's coming. And for thousands and thousands of years, millions and billions and trillions of years, in time unending, it will be well. It will be well. How can we know? Well, because his faithfulness is great. And softly and tenderly as we travel through a difficult world, he calls us to come unto him. He calls us to come home 
in a world that doesn't feel like home, he says, come home to me, and you can find rest for your weary souls. But along the way, don't be afraid to cry out to God with your complete honesty. Tell him what's really going on in you. Tell him the outcome you fear if he doesn't intervene. But then be reminded of the truth you know, even if you don't feel it in the moment. For great is his faithfulness unto all of us in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, sometimes life gets really hard and it hurts. Sometimes it feels like you're a million miles away and we can't wrap our minds or our hearts around what we're going through. Nevertheless, we know that you're with us always and we know that you care for us always. Help us to trust you when it's tough and help us to follow you even along paths we'd rather not walk. For we know that even if we are walking in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us even there. Thank you for being faithful to us always. We love you, we trust you, and we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.